0: This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Yeah, awesome. All right, we're going to jump into our time of teaching, but let me pray as we jump into that, and we will begin. And so, Father, we're here this morning because we believe you're good, because we believe that you, you actually go far beyond our hopes and dreams, and you give us your best. You send your Son into this world so that through Him we can have life. And last week we looked at how we can respond to that. We can respond to You giving our best by giving our best back and stepping into this dance of love with You. And and yet, Father, it's not simply that You invite our best. You invite all of us. And today we want to look at what that can mean to experience more of Your best as we give all of ourselves to You. And so give us ears to hear what You have to say to us today. In Your name, amen. So it's two words that devastated my life as a little kid. Two words that I just had never heard before. You failed were the words. I didn't even know there was a test that day. Like I just showed up to school like living my best life thinking it was a normal thing. And they're like, hey, there's a special test that we're doing today. And so they just sent us out of the classroom one at a time. And I was like, I didn't, no one prepared me for this. What does this even mean? And so I remember I, I walked, and I, I go to a part of the school I'd never been to before, and there's people I'd never seen before, and they sit me down, and they're like, okay, are you ready to take the test? And I'm like, sure. And they're like, can you read the words on that wall? I'm like, what words? And they're like, you failed. And the dude gives me a piece of paper and says, you're going to have to tell your parents about this when you get home, and sends me on my way. And I was devastated. I'd never failed anything in my life up to that point. And I just remember feeling sad and ashamed and all these feelings of like, like, oh no, there's something wrong. And, and instead of going back to the classroom, I found the farthest corner on the playground and hid myself and cried until someone came and found me. It sucks to fail, doesn't it? <laughs> and, and I think so much of our lives, we wrestle with that feeling because I don't know about you, but there's times where I don't feel like I'm winning or Doing well. Sometimes I feel like I'm actually doing very poorly in life. Is it just me? And, and I think that when we're wrestling with that reality, it, it's really easy for us to try to keep a running tally in our mind about how we're doing as we go through life. Like to kind of have a scorecard, right? Like, and in, in, in the way my scorecard works is I kind of have like two columns, and one is the uh oh column, and the other is the attaboy column. And you know what my hope is when I look at the scorecard? that the attaboy column outweighs the uh-oh column. Because like my hope is that somehow, in some way, like however life works, if there's a cosmic scale, my good will outweigh my bad and I'll be okay. But man, that's a tough way to live life, going through life with a scorecard, right? Because a scorecard can, can be heavy. It can, it can actually lead to things that aren't healthy, like not the life God would actually intend for us. And walking through life with a scorecard, Scorecard can actually lead us into dark ways of living life. I mean, here's some of the ways that scorecards can impact our life for the negative. A few things here. One of the ways that scorecards can be heavy or dark is that scorecards can actually lead us in comparing ourselves to others, but not in good ways. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like I'll look at someone else in life and I'll measure myself against them in the hopes of feeling better about myself. And so scorecards leads to this, this wonderful thing called judging people. And so I go through life looking at someone else who I think isn't as good at me, as good at life as me, and I think like, oh, them, I'm good. But it's really ugly, isn't it? And, and a lot of times that's what religious games teach us to do. Like religion is all about rules and hoops and measuring up, and as we try to live that game, we don't always measure up, so it's really easy to look at people that are worse than us and just judge them, Right? But you know what's interesting about this judging thing, it's not just a religious game or a religious problem, it's, it's more of a human problem, because we kind of do it in all areas of life. Have you ever just noticed somebody who's different than you in an area of life, and it's really easy to judge them? I don't know, maybe in the political landscape? Like, have you ever just looked at someone who's on the other side of whatever it is, and you're like, they're stupid, they're crazy, like, and you just begin to judge them because you think you're better than them? Like, that's just what we do. It's a human problem. And and it's an ugly thing that we can do, and we can fall into this. And and I don't know if you've ever been on this end of the judging game where you feel like other people are judging you because you're just having a bad go in life. And you know what's really easy to do in that moment when you feel like other people are judging you? It's easy to look at them and go, who do they think they are to judge me like that? I think they think they're better than me, and I'm just going to judge them back. It's like everyone's just doing the judging game when we do this comparison thing. Because at the heart of it is this thing called arrogance that we all walk in. And arrogance just leads me into thinking I'm better than other people. And it's a horrible way to live life. And scorecards lead us into this. And that's not how God intended us to live. It doesn't lead us to a life of freedom or fulfillment or joy. It just leads to weight and ugliness. Something else that scorecards can often do that it can lead us to is is hiding ourselves from other people. Like, this, this happens when I become acutely and painfully aware of my stuff. The stuff that's in my story. The, the stuff that I would die if people found out about. And oftentimes, I just want to hide that from everyone else. And it leads us to just being fake and wearing masks. And we go through life just putting on the mask that everything is fine and we're all okay. And, and yet behind that mask, there's just a weight in our soul, isn't there? Behind the mask, it's just like this feeling of shame that we walk around with. And and again, that is not how God intended us to experience life. But scorecards just lead to ugly things. Another thing that scorecards can lead to is when we just get so fed up with the games that we've been playing that that we just say, like, I just want to get rid of the scorecard altogether, and we begin to just justify ourselves. And what that, that means is that we just kind of look at life, and we look at how we are, and we say, there's nothing wrong with me. That's called denial, by the way, <laughs> right? But we just say, like, there's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. There's nothing wrong with what I'm about in life. And, and how dare anyone tell me otherwise? And, and oftentimes, the way we go about justifying ourselves is that we look at what we're doing in life, and we think, but this makes me happy, and happiness becomes the ultimate God and goal of our life. And so if it makes me happy, it can't be wrong. And then we justify all sorts of things in the name of happiness. I'll abandon my family in the pursuit of happiness, like all sorts of stuff, right? And and it's an ugly way to live life, and and we'll justify things with these scorecards because we don't like them, and yet it's a dangerous game we begin to play when we start justifying ourselves. Because when we begin to justify ourselves, what we're we're basically saying is, God, I don't really care what you think about life and what it's supposed to look like. Because here's an interesting thing. If God is the originator of all things and the originator of life. That means that God's the one who actually determines reality. And any sense of, of morality flows from who God is. And, and when I began to say, God, I don't care what you think. I actually begin to go against what God would want with my life. That doesn't put me in a good place. Like, like, like God was speaking to his people in ancient times, and they were just all doing their own thing and making up their own rules and doing life on their own. And And God says these words in Isaiah 520. He says, woe to you. Woe to you who would call good evil and evil good. Like, woe to you who would call light darkness and darkness light. And he says, woe, because when we begin to walk in that way, we begin to actually live in lies that lead us away from life. And again, that's not what God intended for us to to go through life justifying ourselves and living in denial that God actually wants to lead us into a much better kind of life. But when we begin to to get caught up with our scorecards, it can lead to all sorts of things that just don't live lead us to the life that we were meant to live, to to, to live a life of comparison or or hiding or justifying, and and those are ugly and heavy ways to live life. Which is why when you encounter Jesus, it's so incredible. Like, Jesus gives these incredible words of invitation to those of us who are just tired of the game. And he says these words, he says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, I will give you rest. He says, learn from me, take my yoke upon you. He's using the language of of two work animals that are yoked and harnessed together so that together they can do more and go further. He says, take my yoke upon you for my yoke is easy and my burden is light and you will find rest for your souls. Like he's inviting us to, to do something totally different with our life and with our story because he's come to set us free from the games we play in this world, from the weight of the scorecard we all carry. And it's incredible when Jesus begins to show up because our hope is that through Jesus, God actually desires to lead us into something so much better. This is what the first followers of Jesus realize as they begin to encounter him and he changed their world. One of them, this guy Paul, writes these words in Colossians 1, 13 through 14 about the incredible hope of what Jesus has come to do. And he says, for he, for God, has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son into the kingdom of jesus jesus who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins that so when we begin to encounter jesus when we begin to to take steps of following him and listening to him and trusting him something fundamentally changes in our story We're transferred from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of life. And that's what Jesus wants to do in each of our stories. And it's a beautiful thing that happens. And and yet, I think, so how? How does this happen? Like, how am I rescued? How do I go from a a kingdom of darkness and and weight and ugliness into this kingdom of life that Jesus wants to give me? And, And I'm glad you asked. And I think one of the ways that it starts is by just simply recognizing I need help in my story. How many of you know people who need help? <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, right? At the elbow. <laughs> How many of you realize you need help? It's it's interesting that idea of recognizing that I need help. You know when it's easiest to realize you need help? When you're at rock bottom like when it's just all come crumbling down, you've come to the end of yourself, that's when it's the easiest to raise my hand and say, God, could you do something? Can you help me? You know when it's harder to recognize that you need help? When life's going pretty good, right? Like when the sun is shining and the birds are singing and it's like, God, thank you, I got it. Do you know when it's actually hardest to ask for help? Not simply when life is going good. You know when it's hardest to ask for help? When you believe that you are good. Like, I'm good, I don't need anything. I got this. And it's interesting because I think sometimes the hardest time to raise the hand for help is when we think we're good, good enough. Which invites an interesting question How good is enough? because we're suddenly back to the scorecards, aren't we? Like, how good do I actually have to be to be, like, good enough? Imagine this. Imagine that we just decided to go on a trip this summer, and we wanted to go check out the Grand Canyon, because, you know, we hear Arizona's cool. Maybe not in the summer, but, you know. And so we just get on, we get on a bus, and we all go there together, and, and we kind of know some of the people that are there, and so we road tripping, and we're getting to know each other, and we realize, like, I like some of the people on this bus, and then we kind of realize, I don't know, I don't like some of the people on the bus, but, you know, we're on the bus, so let's just go on this trip together. And so then we get to the, to the Grand Canyon, and we go to this beautiful vista overlooking it, and we just see the, the expanse of it all, and we see the other side, and it's just like amazing. And then this one guy that got on the bus with us, probably in like, you know, 18-year-old, says this. I think I can make it. I'm like, what? He's like, I I think I can make it. Like, what what do you mean? He goes, I'm a good jumper. In fact, I think I'm better than every single one of you on the bus. And I think I can get there. Now I'm like, you're a legal adult. I'm not responsible for you. parents don't have to sign up like like what are you talking about and imagine if this dude just said like watch I'm going to show you how good I am and he took a, a big lead up and goes with all of his energy and effort and just charges that and then jumps first of all I hope one of us would say dude don't and he'd be like don't judge me and I'm like yeah because that's what love does love says go for it right like whatever right but like they're just saying he decides to do this, right? It's going, to be, and it's going to be a tragic story, but you know what? For like a good 6, 8, maybe 10 feet, it's going to look incredible. And in that moment, I'm going to be like, he is better than me. Look at how far he's getting. But then reality's going to kick in, isn't it? And bro's not going to make it. See, because the problem isn't how good he is. There's this thing called Gravity. There's the reality of the world that's going to be working against him. It doesn't matter how good we are because our goodness isn't the issue, is it? It's the other stuff that we wrestle with, that weighs us down, that causes us to whip out the scorecards, which is why when Jesus shows up, Jesus changes everything. Because he invites us to live life in a totally different way. One of the early Christian leaders, the guy Paul, when he first met Jesus, it fundamentally changed his life. You can read about his story in the early Christians in one of the books in the New Testament, the book of Acts. It's a beautiful story because it tells the story of the first followers of Jesus after Jesus' resurrection. And he's like, okay, now go and do stuff in the world. And if you've ever wondered, like, how do we bumble through life? Just read them and it gives you hope. <laughs> but when we first meet Paul in the book of Acts, he's actually named Saul and he's not a fan of the early Christian movement. He's one of the religious leaders, a group of Pharisees. Like, they were the goody-two-shoes. Like, if anyone thought he was good enough, it would have been Paul at this point in his life. And he's actually out to get the Jesus movement over. So he's going around the area of the, their day, and he's trying to find this Jesus movement in the first Christians. And he's arresting them, and he's bringing them to trial. And many of them are being executed. And Paul's like, yeah, I'm going to end this. And then one day, he's heading through a city, and Jesus shows up. But it's not like like the Jesus we meet in the Gospels. This is Jesus, resurrected Jesus in all of his glory, awesome wonder. And literally, Paul is knocked off his animal, and he's sitting there going, who are you? And the response is, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. That's a bad day. And Paul's like, I'm done. And then Jesus says, but Paul, I have a life for you. I want to turn your story around I offer you something that the world can't give you. I offer you something you can't get yourself. And Jesus changes his life. And Paul goes from being the enemy of Jesus to being one of his most greatest defenders. So much of what we have in our scriptures is because Paul's life was changed forever. And through him, God helped us understand his heart. And Paul writes some words that revolutionize our understanding of how life works, that we don't have to carry the scorecards anymore. And in one of Paul's letters that he writes to the early Christians, it helps us begin to realize that Jesus offers us something different, that God is doing something different. We don't have to play the scorecard game anymore. And so this is what Paul writes in one of his letters in Romans chapter 3 to these Christians living in Rome. And I just want to look at a few verses and unpack them with us today because it can change our story forever so Paul writes these words starting in verse 20. He says, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. He's talking about the Old Testament law, like the Ten Commandments and that stuff. He says, the law simply shows us how sinful we are. Okay, let's just, let's just acknowledge these are heavy words, right? These are not popular words. And we can wrestle with these words. And all I would encourage you to do, if you're like kind of put off by these words, is just lean in and say, but what are you trying to say? Because maybe there's life in these words for us today. And so what Paul's helping us understand that is that when God gave the law, what we would consider like the Ten Commandments, there was a purpose for that. And the purpose wasn't so that we would live up to them and think we were awesome. The purpose of the law was for us to look at those and go, I kind of suck at this. Maybe I need help. And it's interesting that you look, especially like those Ten Commandments, it's not like God set the bar ridiculously high. Like, don't kill people. God, that's impossible. Are you serious? Like, don't cheat on people. Don't lie about people. Don't steal from people. Oh, and remember, there's one God. And so remember him. Worship him only. Follow him. And God gave us these things so that we would understand what his heart was for us in our relationship to him and us in our relationships to one another. And yet what we do is we take those laws and we turn them into religion instead of look at those laws and say, I'm not really that good at this. I need help. That was the point of the law was for us to recognize I need help in my story. I need someone who can come and help me. And when Jesus showed up, he said something fascinating about these rules. He said, I didn't come to get rid of them. I actually came to accomplish them. I came to fulfill them. I came to pass the test so you don't have to worry about it anymore. And what Jesus actually said about some of these things was amazing because he actually raised the bar. Because he said, hey, you've heard that it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, if you've looked at someone lustfully, you've done it in your heart. He said, You've heard that it says, don't be angry with your, or don't kill another person. But if you're angry with your brother in your heart, you've already committed murder in your heart. Like Jesus is helping us understand this isn't about behavioral standards we live up to. It's about what's going on in our heart that we need God to show up and change our story. Which is why we need Jesus. And so this is so cool. Look what, look what Paul's helping us see here. So the law isn't how we get right. It's not about our scorecard. He says, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. He says, we're made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Like, God had this plan for us all along. Here's how I'm going to work in your story. Here's how I'm going to make you right. I'm going to send my son into this world who's going to live up to the standard that none of you can. And through him, you're going to find the hope of life. And we step into that by, by putting our faith in Jesus. Basically saying, Jesus, I trust you with my life. I I trust that what you have done is enough for me. I trust that you are good enough when I'm not. I trust that you bring me the forgiveness I need in my story. I trust that you're going to lead me into life. I trust that you can do what I can't do. And so I'm going to give myself to you. And I love that he says it's for everyone who believes. So if you're wrestling with some weight in your story today, if you're wondering "Could could God work with someone like me, the answer is yes. Because Jesus is for everyone. And so we have this new way of living life. And Paul goes on and he goes, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God with undeserved kindness declares that we are righteous. That means we're right in his sight. And he did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. That Jesus came to do for us what we cannot do. And and it's just that interesting, there's there's, there's weight to those words, everyone has sinned, we all fall short of God's glory standard. You know what that means? We're all in the same boat. We're all in the same boat. And the bad news is it's sinking. (laughs) But the good news is, is that the lifeguard is on the scene. And he has come to rescue us, to bring us life, to bring us into the hope of something new, that Jesus has come to do something in our story. And the beautiful thing is that Jesus dealt with the Badness, and now offers us his goodness, so that we can begin to grab hold of that and step into a whole new life with him. That's the beautiful thing that we see, and Paul's painting this picture of us of this this beautiful exchange that takes place in our story when we put our faith in Jesus. That Jesus says, "Come to me as you are. Bring me all of it. Give me your scorecard, and I'm going to give you mine in return. And now I'm going to let you." live this new life that i've come to give you i'm going to set you free i'm going to make it possible for you to step into everything god has for you because it's not about you anymore can i just tell you that's some of the best news you could ever hope to hear it's not about you it's about jesus and what he's come to do for you and that's what sets us free have you ever had someone just qualify you for something that you couldn't qualify on your own I remember when we lived in Southern California, we would go to Disneyland when Indy, our oldest, was a little kid. And it was just so fun. We had passes. We would go almost every weekend. It was the best. And I remember as a teenager, I would go to Disneyland with my friends, and we'd be in, like, Fantasyland. And they're like, let's go on the Dumbo ride. And I was like, no, I am saving myself for my kid. I'm not going to ride Dumbo till I have a kid, right? And so I remember, like, we got there with Indy, and I got to ride Dumbo with her. And it was like, yes, it was this beautiful moment. But you can only go to Disneyland so long and ride the kiddie ride so long before you kind of bored out of your mind. And I remember one day, we're just kind of scrolling, scro- like, like, scrolling through, and we walk past the Matterhorn, and I just hear the roar of it. And Indy's in the stroller, and I just see her, like, staring at this snowy mountain. First of all, she had never seen snow before. So that was a new thing to her. <laughs> And I just remember her like, I'm like, oh, Indy, you don't have a clue. There's so much more to this place than the kitty rides. And, and she's like, what's that sound? And I'm like, that's the monster in the mountain. It's so cool. It's such a good ride. And, and she's like, I want to ride it. And I'm like, ah, you can't. You're not tall enough yet. And, and I remember we were walking by the entrance to the ride, and there was the sign. And the sign said, you know, you must be this tall if, you're, if you don't measure up. You're not allowed to be on the ride. And I'm like, let's just try, because we put her in thick shoes that day. Let's just see, right? So I bring her over, and and I have her kind of standing. And here's that little bar, right? And she's just right here. And I'm like, oh, she doesn't measure up. And then I start reading the sign, and I start to read the fine print. Unless accompanied by an adult. Oh, I'm an adult. Wait, wait. Uh, And I just did the math in my head, and I realized... Indy, we're going on the ride. I qualify you for the ride. And we got, and I just told Christy, I'm like, we'll be back. And I remember just going on that ride, and she is just wide-eyed with wonder, and we sit down on that ride, and I'm just holding her, and I could just feel her heart beating in her chest against, like, like against me and as we're going in. And it's the rip-roaring best ride we ever had. It's like Old Matterhorn before they made it safe, like, where you're just slamming around like, in the slalom, and you're like, ah, I got whiplash, and all that stuff. Like It was the greatest And we got done with that ride. And she's like, let's do it again. And I'm like, we can do this all day. I qualify you for it. That's what Jesus does for us. He qualifies us to step into the life God has for us. Not because we're great, but because he is. And we begin to go to him and we offer him our life. And I love this. I love this. God offers us his best. He sends his son into this world to invite us into life with him. And yes, he invites us to respond by giving our best. But what he really says is just give me all of you. All of you. As you are. The good, the bad, the ugly. Because I want you. And he invites us to respond by giving him all of us. And we give him our worst. We give him all of our mess, all of our fears, all of our shame, all of our struggles, all of our challenges, all of it, and he says, I've got you, and I want to give you all of my goodness in return, and change your story forever, and in exchange for us, he gives us his best, he gives us Jesus. And we get to step into that beautiful place. And we step into that by giving us all of us as we are. It's this idea of surrendering my life to him. Jesus, I surrender myself to you. And when we do that, we need to realize it's not like we come into that relationship setting the terms of the relationship. Like I don't come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'll follow you, but here's the conditions. Because I'm not the one buying the house. He's the one buying the fixer-upper. So I step into that and just say, here I come as I am. Because he is the one who's rescuing me. Because remember, whose rescue is this? Is it my rescue or is it his rescue? Did you forget what we read? Look at what Paul said in Colossians. Here it is. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our what? Our freedom and forgave our sins. It means that we come as we are. No more comparing. No more hiding. No more justifying. The games are over. We come as we are, and we're being set free because Jesus brings us into a whole new life with him. And it changes our stories forever. And what that means is that this is the life of faith. Jesus, I I trust you with me. I trust that who you are and what you have done is enough for me. And now I walk after you the best I know how. And some days that's a run. And some days that's a stumbling, picking myself up, saying, what did I do? And he's like, that's why I'm here. To keep you walking forward into the life I have for you. And as we live that life, that faith in Jesus, some beautiful things begin to happen. Because Jesus said that he would put his spirit in us to begin to transform us from the inside out. To help us begin to become the people we were created to be. The people we were meant to be. And when that begins to happen, that's the adventure of following Jesus. My hope and my prayer is that who I am a year from now is not the guy I am today. Because he's doing something in my story constantly and it's new. But we have to stop and say, I need you, Jesus, in my story. The reason I failed that test when I was a kid because there was something wrong with my eyes. I just, I couldn't see clearly on my own. But can I tell you how cool it was when I got my first pair of glasses? Like I remember when I got my glasses and I put those glasses on and I left the the eye doctor's office and I looked outside and suddenly I saw the world. I remember looking up at trees and I'm like, the fuzzy stuff up there are leaves. (laughs) Like that's where leaves come from. Like, it's not just, like, fun. Like, it was amazing. And I remember, like, going to school with my glasses on and suddenly realizing the teacher's putting words on the chalkboard. There's knowledge to be gained. Like, it was like it changed my life because I could suddenly see in ways I could never see before. And that's what happens when Jesus shows up. It's like he changes our lives and we begin to see the world the way we never saw it before. Because he's changing our story forever. As we take that walk of faith, trusting him in Him. And so how awesome is this? That God gives us His best and not simply invites us to give our best, but He says, give me all of you. Come as you are. Because I want you. And I want to change your story forever. Give me your worst. And I will give you my best. And watch what I will do in your story as we step into a whole new life with Him. I don't know about you, but i got to be reminded of that in my story time and time again. Because it's really easy to think it's about me again. To think it's about how awesome I am and get taken with myself in those, those moments, but to also think it's all about me and be taken with myself in my failures and think that somehow I'm disqualified from the life God has for me. Instead, He's like, no, dude, that's why I'm in the story now. And I love that Jesus gave us a gift to remember him in the story now. And it's this thing that we call communion. That when Jesus was about to go to the cross on our behalf, to go to bat for us, to to defeat all of our mess and brokenness, and then to overcome and to be risen again so that we could have a hope of life in him, he gave a gift to his first followers to then give to everyone who would follow him. It's called communion we're told that that meal that they're having, he took the elements of that meal and he said, like, I'm doing a new thing here. God is doing a new thing and I want to invite you into it. And we're told that he took the bread from the table and he said, this is going to be my body and it's going to be broken for you so that you don't have to be broken anymore. And then he took the cup, he took the wine and he says, this wine is, is this new promise God is making that my blood will be shed for the forgiveness of your sins so that you don't have to walk in your sin and shame anymore. I've come to forgive you and set you free. And we're told that as often as we eat and drink of it, we do it to remember Him. And so communion is this beautiful thing that we do to remember that Jesus is in the story now. It's not about us, it's about Him and what He's come to do for us. And so when we take communion, we come to be reminded that God has given us His best and our story has changed forever. And so we take the bread and we take the cup and we remember Him. And we're going to do that together today. And so in the room, we've got four tables set up. And we've got these fun little communion cup things. And as we get ready to go into this, I just want to encourage you as we go into this time to come to one of the tables and take the cup. And you can come back to your seat or you can find some space around the room and remember him. To remember that he's in the story now. That because of Jesus, our lives are changed forever. I, I love how the writer of Hebrews invites us to come into this moment. Hebrews chapter 4, it says this. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. This is why Jesus can help us. He understands what we're going through. He came as one of us to experience life like us, so he gets it. He gets the struggle. Yet here's why he can help us. Where I failed, he never did. He knows how to have success, have victory in life, and he invites me to walk with him into that victory. And so here's how we come before God. We don't come before God with our heads down and as woe as me. We say, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Who needs some help today? Yeah. And we're going to find it in Jesus. So I want to invite you in this moment to come to the table with your head held high because God wants to give you his best today. So come as you will. Bring it to him. And invite him to show up in your story. And so let's go into this time of communion. And I want to encourage you, the song that we're about to sing, let it shape your prayer. And So go and get the elements and take some time to remember him today. And so God, thank you that you give us your best. Thank you that you have life for us. Thank you that you invite us to come as we are. Thank you that we can bring the scorecard to you and lay it down. We can be set free from the games. We can hold our heads high because you have come to give us life. So today we come before you and we say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.